It started really early morning. I started getting cramps like 3 a.m. or something like this. Kept telling myself, yeah, maybe it's normal, but it didn't feel normal. And I remember I went and took a bath because I was like, okay, I, I shouldn't be taking painkillers. It was horrible. Pain just get, got worse and worse and worse. And then I had a like, very cinematic moment when there was like blood in the water. And uh, that's when my suspicions were confirmed about what was going on. Marhaba, Anna Karen Abu Jaude. Anna Sara Raslan. Anna Mais Amran. Welcome to Al Umuma. Real talk, guys. We'll be taking you through all the stages of pregnancy and motherhood and diving into the stuff no one talks about. From fears and anxieties, sex drive to social stigmas, we will be sharing our personal experiences with you and, of course, welcome various special guests to share their journeys and learnings too. And most importantly, hear from you, mamas. This is your podcast. Make sure to follow us on Instagram where we'll be taking all your awesome questions. Don't shy away, mamas, or even papas. All sorts of questions are welcome. Just remember, folks, we are not medical professionals. We are mamas sharing our experiences with you. All thoughts and opinions expressed are our own. Today's episode is a very strong episode, in my uh, personal opinion. Uh, it's an episode that us women here felt we need to have and discuss. Today we want to talk to you ladies about something that's almost brushed away and not very much opened, unfortunately. So a lot of the times we celebrate when mamas get pregnant or when they actually have their babies and we completely forget to acknowledge the fact that not all mamas have successful pregnancies. And that's where we go into the term miscarriage. We have two beautiful ladies on the podcast today with us, and they're also personal friends of ours. And we cannot thank you enough for being here today to shed light and to emphasize the importance of talking about miscarriage and losing a baby. So if you don't mind, uh, you know, again, thanks so much for being here and being so bold to do this, Mira and Julia. Can you please, uh, maybe Julia, if you could start introducing yourself here, maybe you can you can start us off by how you feel or why you feel it's so important to talk about this specific topic, especially that you went through it. What is something you feel you want to discuss here today or shed light on for all the women out there that potentially also face the same situation that you did? I think it's just incredibly important to normalize this topic as something that that should be just openly okay to talk about. Um, I feel like when I went through it myself, I realized very quickly afterwards that it's a very common thing. And most people actually that have tried to get pregnant, most people that I speak to have had a miscarriage, but it's not commonly known. It's not something that's openly discussed. And when it happens to you, most likely you're going to feel alone in that situation. And you're going to feel abnormal. You're going to have all these worries about, you know, can I get pregnant again? Uh, is there something wrong with my body? Am I going to be able to eventually carry a baby to full term? So I think the entire concept of miscarriage is a big paradox because at those initial stages of your pregnancy, it's a very private thing. And you really want to just 
keep it to yourself and you want to kind of get to the safe zone where it's okay to tell people and it's it's safer. But at the same time, that's often when a miscarriage happens. And then you're kind of in this weird bubble where you haven't told anybody, you don't want to tell anybody, you also don't want to advertise that experience to other people, you don't want eyes on you, you don't want people asking you about your experience, the details of it. So just all of that into consideration, I just think we should be in an environment where women just talk about miscarriage just like any other topic, that it's just a normal thing, just like having a flu, because that's how normal it is, and people do experience it. So I'm hoping that maybe just being part of this will give some women out there that haven't had the opportunity to discuss it with other women the opportunity to just hear some realities about it. Thank you so much. Mira, if, um, if, if we could ask you as well, why do you think, based on your experience and, um, and what you know, why is this an important subject to be discussed? And what would you like to shed light on specifically? Sure, thanks for having me. Um, like you said, my name is Mira. I'm 29 years old now. I had a miscarriage about two years ago. Um, I was pregnant with identical twins. And for me, the, uh, I guess, hardest part of it was having no answers. Um, And the thing about this experience is that a lot of times you won't have answers. It's just something that happens. Um, But what would help is to have a sense of connection um, and community with all the other women that it's happened to. And what I noticed, I mean, I echo everything that Julia said, but I also want to add that, um, like even afterwards when I found out that like, oh, this is common, it's happened to a lot of women and women close to me in my life were like, yeah, you know, I had I had a few, you know, I, I had miscarriages. It's okay, you'll be okay. There, that's really kind of where the conversation ended. Like nobody told me like how to be okay, like what I could do to help me feel better. Um, like nobody was like, you know, this happened to me, and this is what I did to get through it, and this is what helped me cope. So it kind of just like the conversation ended at like, it's okay, it happens to a lot of people and that was it. So I had to figure out kind of afterward, maneuver that world of just like all the unknowns of like, why did this happen? Um, How long is it gonna take me to like, you know, not be sad about this? And what do I do to help me get better? I think those are really important to include in the conversation when we're talking about women connecting to each other on on this topic. And, you know, 100% Mira and Julia, what you said is definitely um, going, I'm I'm sure, I mean, it's resonating with me already. You know, I'm sure it's going to resonate with so many more women out there. I also want to ask about your partners. Because I know this as hard and as difficult it is for you to go through this experience. I'm sure when you have your partner, uh, Mira, like Ayman, uh, Julia, Walid, what what do you what do you think is something they learned from that, or how how they coped with it as well? From my perspective, it's 
it's actually the the man's first realization of how external they are to the experience of pregnancy like how clueless they are how they just have no facility of understanding what's happening so um when when mine happened um it started really early morning i started getting cramps like 3 a.m or something like this and uh Obviously, I went and I googled, is it normal to have cramps first trimester? And it's like, oh, it's normal, this, this, and this cramp and that cramp. And I kept telling myself, yeah, maybe it's normal. But it didn't feel normal. And I remember I went and took a bath because I was like, okay, um, I, I shouldn't be taking painkillers while pregnant. So let me take a warm bath and see if that helps. Didn't help. I sat in there for like an hour. It was horrible. Pain just get, got worse and worse and worse. And then I had a like, very cinematic moment when there was like blood in the water. And uh, that's when I was like, okay, I, my, my suspicions were confirmed about what was going on. And then in a really weird way, I didn't want to be here near my husband. I actually went downstairs and I went into our other bathroom and I just lie on the floor and I was just, you know, shaking and feeling all kinds of messed up and in a, really a lot of pain. And then eventually when my husband came downstairs and saw me, he was obviously extremely worried. And he was, you know, trying to think, oh, how do you make things better? What's going on? You know, like, wh what do I need to do? I was in so much pain, I couldn't even speak. And uh, I was basically, in my head, I was very irritated at him for not realizing that, of course, you need to take me to the hospital. But then my next thought was that, of course he has, like, how can he know? I'm not telling him anything. He cannot possibly know what I'm feeling like. Um, and eventually all I could just do was like, call my doctor. Um, I don't care if it's early. And he's like, but it's 6 a.m. I don't care. Call the doctor. <laughs> but th it just goes to show how they're just a spectator. They don't understand and they don't know what's happening. And they don't have any reference points of, for example, period pain or things like this, you know, basic things about a human, human female body that you know, and I can kind of like ref reference and I'm like, okay, if I'm having period pain in my first trimester, it's probably not a good thing. So um, eventually we went to the hospital um, and uh, he was so supportive the entire time, but still just external, you know, he can't understand what's going on. All he can do is sit there, hold my hand, ask if everything is okay and try to deal with situations where healthcare professionals <laughs> are just doing an absolutely horrendous job um, at uh, having any kind of bedside manner in a situation like that. So it's Did you feel like they just wanted to brush it off? Like, I mean, maybe I was unlucky with my specific situation, but when I went to the, to the hospital, I had four different doctors, first of all, tend to me. Um, none of them felt like they had been updating each other in any way. Each one came in and asked, started by asking the question, when was your last period? Um, and <laughs> I was like, dude, I'm having a miscarriage. <laughs> Do we did, really give a shit about my last period? Did anyone, did anyone at the hospital explain to you what was going on? No. No. No, there so was you zero. Went, you went in with your own assumptions of yeah. what was happening. So I basically, I was 99.9% .9 confident that that was what was happening, but nobody said anything, nobody explained anything. Um, eventually, uh, after I had an ultrasound by the third doctor or whatever it was, and lots of painkillers, then this fourth doctor came in and uh, <laughs> I will never, I will never forget it. She walked in 
And she said, uh, the good news is it's a complete miscarriage. Oh, my oh. God. Yeah. How and is that good news? That It's not a, like a you know complicated one where we know that there's like part of something left in there and you need to Operate. scrape it out mm-hmm. or do surgery or something like this. And I just... I remember that I was just so in shock <laughs> with that statement that I just couldn't say anything. And I'm normally quite a, um, how would I say, type A personality. Like I've, <laughs> I, I've really fantasized about going back to that moment and giving that doctor a piece of my mind. So it, it seems that even in the medical domain, when you got to the hospital, it was also a taboo subject. So it's not just amongst women in society or in our communities, but it was also the doctors that had a hard time confronting you with, with the realities of what was happening. I felt they had no no training, no ability to, to have a conversation that you're supposed to be having. I don't think it's reflective of the entire medical community. I spoke to my actual, my doctor afterwards. She was, she was horrified. Um, but she said that unfortunately this happens a lot. Um, and uh, I mean, it wasn't, I was lucky in the sense that mine happened relatively early in my pregnancy. I was five and a half weeks at that point, and I could tell myself afterwards that there's a there's a reason why these happen, and something was not right, and it was meant to end. Uh, but like Mira said earlier, it's the afterwards, the processing parts, that's probably the more challenging piece. Like, I thought I was completely fine. I thought I had kind of dealt with it, and you know, I had medically explained it to myself. I had spoken to my doctor, I was fine. And then my my actual uh, experience of dealing with it happened, I think, th- two months after. So two months after I was visiting, I was back home in Finland visiting my family. And out of nowhere, I got this unbelievable, horrible depression for like three days. And I just couldn't, I was completely, I couldn't do anything. I was just just it just hung over me and i didn't understand what was going on i just knew that i felt horrible i couldn't get myself to do anything i was up north in lapland where it's beautiful there's all this outdoor nature to enjoy and do stuff i didn't feel like leaving the house i was just i didn't recognize myself and then suddenly i just i think it was actually my husband who who suggested that maybe is it possible that there's a link and i started reading online and i found some of some blogs where women were discussing this kind of delayed onset uh, miscarriage depression or, or whatever you want to call it. It actually saddens me that you had to search for it somewhere online to find a blog where women are talking about it for you to to be able to connect or or find a, a specific to just discuss this. It's it's absolutely I don't know. Mira and and Julia as well, this is a question for both of you. So Mira, earlier you mentioned that, you know, the people that you did connect with acknowledged that you had a miscarriage and told you it was going to be okay, but they didn't tell you how to be okay. And Julia, you brushed on this as well, that it was an incident that there was no follow-up with how are you going to get through this? How, what are the steps to take? What are the, what are the stages that you're going to pass through? So because you didn't have that, you didn't have that foundation of, okay, let's get better together, or this is how you can get better. How did you guys get to this stage of being okay, if you are okay? Um, this for me relates to the question that you just asked, Julia, about you know the role of the partner. I mean, I agree, Julia, there's no way that you know a man can fully understand what's happening. Um, 
but I guess for me, my story is a little bit different from yours. And I think this is why it's important too, that we like get as many women as possible to talk about their experiences because I'm just like so drawn into your experience. And I didn't, you know, I didn't experience like that, the bloody bath, the cramps, the actual like physical sight of losing my baby. Like I, um, I'm so sorry. Um, what happened to me was I had just started my second trimester and my husband and I, you know, we were surprised by the pregnancy to start with. And, um, and we were really excited, really excited. And we thought, you know, we're getting into the second trimester, like things are looking good. Um, the babies were moving and, you know, alive at our last doctor's appointment. And then we went to the next one and the woman giving me the ultrasound just like wasn't saying anything. Like usually they would like marry and be like, oh, baby A is waving at mama, baby B is doing this. And this time it was just nothing. And I'm looking at the screen and the babies aren't moving anymore. And I was like, hmm, I guess they're tired. Like I had no like feeling of like no idea that they were, they had died, right? And, um, and for the longest time, you know, she brought in another woman and the other woman was like, okay, let me see. Didn't say anything. They call in the doctor and uh, by the time the third person came into the room, who was the doctor, she checked the ultrasound, did the same thing the other two women did, and then turned to me and said, unfortunately, we can't find a heartbeat for either one of them. And, um, and so that was the moment where my husband and I just looked at each other and, I mean, we just started crying immediately uh, because we were together in that appointment. And um, I agree with you with, I guess this is like a global phenomenon, but the healthcare institution was not helpful, um, was not really empathetic. Uh, the doctor was like, you know, we'll give you a few moments and then you're free to go. So I had no direction as to like what I was supposed to do next. Um, I had to, like, it took me a very long time to get in touch with my other doctor who had referred me to this doctor to ask her where I should go for the operation. And by the time I finally got in touch with that doctor, it took me days pretty much before I was able to have the operation. So for those three days, I knew that my babies had died and I was still carrying them inside me. And um, nobody, like none of the doctors like had a nice thing to say, you know? Nobody was like, I'm so sorry. Like, let me try to get this done for you as soon as possible, right? Like that wasn't there. So it, it, it felt so isolating. Um, now, I felt like my, my partner, Amen was with me emotionally through that part. What I felt really alone in was the actual operation, the DNC, where they had to take the babies out. That was like, you know, a completely, it was just me and my God, you know? 
um, I woke up. I remember waking up from from the operation and just being like, my babies. Like that was the first thought I had, my babies. And I just broke down crying. And it was it was so, I don't know. I just felt so alone. Like I wasn't with my babies anymore. I wasn't with anybody. I was just in like a hospital bed by myself until, you know, my husband was able to come get me. But afterwards, the coping for me was like heavily, you know, like dependent on having another person there who also was excited about these babies, who was also crushed that we weren't going to be parents to them. And the way me and Eamon coped was we pretty much just watched the entire like Lord of the Rings saga. And just every <laughs> night we watched Lord of the Rings. We made snacks, we made popcorn, and we just cuddled up. It was the winter. It was like February. And we just, we did that every night until we finished the entire saga. And by the end, it was like, I don't know, it was like cathartic in a way. Like we had gone on a whole other adventure together, you know, and we came out of it like new people almost, it felt like. Julia mentioned um, something about uh, experiencing um, almost like a latent depression a few months after the incident. Did you experience anything a few months later or years later, because you're saying this happened two years ago for you. It wasn't like a moment of depression like that. It was kind of just kind of working through the sadness. And I think some of my coping was like, I became to like make really dark jokes. Um, and like, I guess humor was like a way of like coping with it. Um, but just like a very dark sense of humor, right? Like everything seemed kind of dark and mellow. Um, I think for me, the biggest part of, it wasn't like a sudden depression. It was just kind of a working through a loss. It was grieving, really. I was mourning. And I think like um, a real for me was that like, because I had carried them till for that long, like my body had changed by that point. And I didn't really feel like myself again until until a year later when my body finally was like back to what I was used to it being, you know, but like up until then, it was just like a reminder of what happened. Like I would look at myself and, and remember, you know. That sounds so difficult to go through. Um, and I can't imagine experiencing either of your emotional journeys. And again, ladies, Thank you for your courage and speaking to us. It's amazing. There was one thing that I did um, that I did want to ask <clears throat> specifically to Julia, because Mira, as you're talking about your experience in the hospital, which was similar to Julia's, having to see several doctors before getting an answer, Julia, I noticed you were feeling. <laughs> quite angry obviously our listeners can't see but julia you know her fists were tied and she was quite emotional in her physical response so my question is if you could have changed that reaction if let's say it could have been dealt with in a better way what way could that be so let's say there's a medical professional listening to this podcast who has done exactly what your stories have uh, explained 
what way would you have wanted to be dealt with as a patient going through your miscarriage? I think, I mean, maybe it's, maybe it sounds a bit too much to ask from a healthcare professional who sees hundreds and thousands of patients. I understand that it takes a toll on you and, and you cannot have the same energy for every person that you see. But I, I honestly, I just wanted my mom. I just wanted somebody to tell me, and my mom happens to be a doctor, so I have that kind of unique combination from my childhood of having somebody who is very caring, but also medically knows what's going on, which is very reassuring in situations where you're afraid. But even, I mean, even without that kind of motherly love piece, I would have just expected for somebody to first of all ask me how I'm doing. This is a very simple thing. Um, ask me how I'm coping. Um, ask or just give reassurance. Explain what's happening, even if it's bad. But you want to know what's happening. You don't want to be in the dark when people are kind of, especially when people are examining you. When someone's doing an ultrasound, it's just you know little things like when you're. If I'm a doctor and I'm doing an ultrasound, I would naturally, you know, somehow make it clear that I'm still there, that I'm a human. You know, maybe it's just small things like you're like, hmm, okay, okay, this is, now we're looking at here, this is what's happening. Explain to me what I'm seeing on the screen. I don't, I'm not a doctor, I don't understand. I just see a big like blob. I don't know what's in there. So just kind of taking you along on the journey of what's happening so that you can start already processing what's happening instead of having somebody walk in, you know, three doctors later and just like slapping you on the face with whatever the news is. It just, it's, it's difficult enough as a concept to process, especially when, you know, you're not prepared for it in any way, or you're kind of just left your devices to figure stuff out by yourself. Um, and the, the experience was just, it, it was such a big contrast compared to my actual doctor that I dealt with after the, this all happened, because I actually had I had complications after after the miscarriage itself, so I had to um, I had to go weekly to um, give my blood for them to check that the hormone levels are coming down normally, and uh, the target levels at that point are that you want to go get below five, so that you're basically in the clear that it's out of your system. But my hormone levels were actually increasing, so week after week they were increasing as if I was still pregnant. And uh, the doctors at the hospital had confirmed that it was this good news, complete miscarriage. So it was very confusing. And my doctor dealt with this in an entirely different way. She was very professional about it. She explained to me everything. She started, uh, when she saw that I started kind of spinning, and I had obviously gone and done my fair share of Googling at this point, this point like every smart person does. Um, and she started kind of noticing that in me, that I had some, you know, some of my own diagnoses at that point, she started explaining to me what all it could be and how probable it is it, for each of these things to be a possibility. And at that point, even though there were really scary things happening, like one of the, one of the possible reasons for that is that you have, um, I can't remember the term anymore, but there's, there's a rare, really rare condition where it eventually, uh, you need to kind of kill what's left of the pregnancy chemically uh, with medication. And as a result of that medication, your body is essentially a hostile environment for six months or so. So you cannot even try for six months after you do that medication. So 
that became this huge thing in my head that I'm sure I have that now. Um, and when you're told after that, that six months you can't even try, it becomes a whole different uh, beast kind of in your head. So the fact that even through all of that, she managed to still keep me relatively optimistic and calm about the whole process. And I didn't feel any of that same emotion that I had in the hospital. That just goes to show how how different medical practitioners can be in their approach and how, how much it, it just makes a massive difference. Thank you, Julia. Mira, just to pass it over to you, we understand that you have a very interesting and relevant professional background. Going back to the same question uh, that Julia answered, how do you feel and think that the medical practitioners should have responded or should respond in these types of difficult situations? Yeah, so um, I'm a healthcare chaplain. I provide spiritual care for um, cancer patients at a, at a big cancer center in New York. And so it's kind of like my job to like be that person that um, accompanies people when they receive bad news, like, you know, like we received, or when they're going through a really difficult time, when they're very ill. Um, and I don't know, it's interesting because like a lot of times in the hospital, <laughs> we're like where the people, like the chaplains will be called when the doctor doesn't want to like handle the emotional circumstances, like consequences of what they anticipate might happen, right? Um, so they'll give somebody like a, an update on their diagnosis that is, you know, bad news and then they will call us to come in. So I, I'm, I've kind of like accepted and understood that medical professionals, like doctors, um, only have so much of a capacity for compassion and empathy just because, you know, they're seeing so many patients, uh, they might be overworked. And also to be so intimately connected to each person's like emotional, spiritual, like state can take away from like the work that they have to do because a lot of the work that they have to do is is medical it's scientific and they have to get through it right so for me what i would have liked to see from the doctor is just like more answers you know like a little bit more clarity like she she really didn't have anything to offer me other than um yeah you know we were gonna go over this today during this appointment about how your pregnancy is high risk and that this could have happened. And I was like, okay, like what, what happened exactly, you know? Um, but she was like, we really don't know. And um, I think to, to kind of like have her walk me through that a little bit more, you know? So this is typical of what happens. Um, you know, this is what might have happened to your babies. Now the next steps for you are gonna be in uh, DNC. Do you need help finding somebody to uh, get that done for you? 
and 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 I know this must be really difficult for you like are you like are you okay do you do you need somebody to talk to right and to have that those questions asked of me like that would have opened the door for maybe for me to speak to a professional who who is there for that emotional support maybe she could have connected me to a chaplain at that hospital or a social worker or um maybe the other ob could have recognized how how painful it was to have to still be like pregnant with babies that i knew weren't alive anymore and could have tried to like extradite the dnc for me she could have you know pushed a little bit harder to make sure that i was going to be you know in an operation that day or the day after so i wouldn't have to like continue suffering the way i did right so to do what was in their medical power to do to answer questions and to help with the process and to help connect me to somebody that could support me in an emotional um way would have been nice <laughs> no you're absolutely right um very wonderfully put uh, mira and julia mira if i could ask you and julia um mira i know you're a chaplain living outside of the middle east um do you know if there are chaplains available here in the Middle East. And Julia, since your experience was here in the region, is this available to women out there here living in the UAE or in, uh, in the Middle East in general? To my knowledge, uh, I haven't heard of this existing in the Middle East. It doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It's completely possible. But even if that specific role does not exist, there are definitely lots of medical professionals that are focused on supporting people through grief and all kinds of trauma. So it exists everywhere. I think the question is rather, is it offered? And in this, in my experience, it was not offered in any way. Uh, at that point, it would be up to likely the mother to seek it out, which can be incredibly difficult or not even occur to you because you think you're kind of just powering through it. So I think it's still the responsibility of whoever is your healthcare provider to offer whatever support by whoever needs to give it. Mira, do you, I mean, do you have chaplains in Egypt? No. <laughs> um, the chaplaincy field, it's, it's kind of young. It's really most professionalized here in the States. Um, beginning to be more and more professionalized in the UK. And it's kind of, it's beginning to pop up in different areas of the world, like Australia and Indonesia. But as far as I know, it's not a professionalized um, job in the Middle East as of yet. Uh, but like Julia said, that doesn't mean that there aren't resources for people. I think that just the fact that there's like classes for like moms, there could also be like support groups for moms who lost their babies, right? Like there's, you know, a whole bunch of different ways to be creative about this. Um, but I do look forward to seeing like professionals who are specifically there for spiritual care to become more and more of a thing um, in the future, inshallah. Inshallah. No, Annie, we really, I, I've been trying to get Mira to come to, uh, <laughs> to Dubai and start chaplaincy here in the region. But ladies, I, you know, I know that you're both pregnant. Maybe it's because they're like my best friends. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
But both of you being pregnant, if I can just ask this 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 last question here. Did you have these, I mean, did, did you get the reoccurring thought of what if during your your pregnancy now? I mean, I know Julia and Mita, you're both in your first trimester. Uh, and pardon me if this question could, could come off as a bit harsh. If that's something you're okay to answer, we'd love to hear if, you know, if that's something you ladies are currently going through because a lot of women out there who did have miscarriages also got pregnant again and maybe they're thinking a bit too much about the situation again I mean do you feel that you went through that yeah constantly I, I, I remember even thinking for a while that I was very I, I was I was scared of getting pregnant again um, because I had all these the thing is before you've experienced something you may have a fear of it but it's not a concrete fear you're just you're you're afraid of the thought of it but once you've experienced something now you know really how to be afraid of it properly so you imagine it you have dreams of it um, and I used to even at the start of this this current pregnancy uh, there was a while at the start where I would wake up really early by myself naturally like 5 a.m and wake up kind of the same way that you wake up from a nightmare kind of like <gasps> and and be confident. I don't know if I was, maybe I was dreaming it. And then I kind of woke myself up. I can't remember the dreams. But this constant kind of fear that's with you that, you know, is it going to happen again? And every tiny little cramp that you have, which is completely normal in the first trimester. Now I know lots of different <laughs> kinds of cramps. Um, but you're confident with every one of those that this is now it's happening again. Uh, the, the good news is that when time passes by, I think it's just kind of a human survival mechanism that you just kind of, you get tired of being afraid. You just don't have the energy for it anymore. You, so every day that goes by, every week that goes by especially, you kind of just start letting go of the fear a little bit. And uh, obviously then when you have little milestones, like you hear your heartbeats, then you kind of let go of a little bit more of the fear. And every day it gets easier and easier and easier. But that's not to say that it's not, still not with me. I still think about it probably every day. But less in, a, less in a kind of fatalistic way now, more kind of just as a appreciation of how far I've come now and, and kind of trust and hope for it's going to be okay, it's going to be all right. And in that process, I would say that definitely my husband has been huge. His kind of, he's very good at reassuring. So he's good at kind of... In other areas, sometimes being a little bit too overly optimistic, maybe, but in this <laughs> department, it's been super helpful for him to just be, you know, that was that, this is this, these are different things. Every pregnancy is completely individual. This has nothing to do with what happened earlier. And, um, and just don't worry, just take it one day at a time. What about you, Mira? Yeah, Eamon and I totally were like reining in our excitement from the start this time around. Like we were like, oh yay you know like it happened but like i don't know you know what i mean like should we be you know we like waited longer to tell people this time around um we kind of like i guess a little bit more maybe apprehensive yeah like you know it's like it's just like this like 
like we feel like the need to not get too excited like that's how we felt from the start because we didn't want to be crushed again you know like we were just like well you know like this is good news and it's exciting and it could go you know all the way this time but like we know that there's a chance because like we lived through it last time um but like julia said like as time goes on like you know you want to be excited like you want to be happy about this miracle that's happening and and so you know i'm at the point now where i'm like let's even when it comes to like telling people i'm like you know what like honestly like i feel like it would be even more isolating if i had to if i did like miscarry and nobody even knew i was pregnant this time to start with and everybody was just like carrying on with their regular lives not knowing what i was going through right it's like even if like i i want to share this with people this is good news and whatever happens down the line happens down the line but we can hope for the best and be happy and be excited and and know that like julia said i mean it's different each time right like this isn't the same thing um so it's a mixed bag <laughs> Ladies, thank you so much for sharing an intensely personal experience with us and all these listeners. We, I am sure there are so many people that can connect with what you've said and the emotions are definitely resonating with us here in the room and everyone who has it playing in their car or their headphones in. Really, we can't thank you enough for your courage and your beautiful words of wisdom. We like to end each episode with asking what one piece of advice or tip you would give listeners out there when it comes to this specifically miscarriages so if you could both uh, let us know what is that one thing that you would like to say to everyone who's listening for all the women who are going through this um be gentle with yourself it's okay. Whatever you feel like doing to get through it, do it. If you want to cry, cry. If you want to watch Lord of the Rings, do that. <laughs> if you want to eat cake, eat cake. Um, it's okay. I would just say that I think that we as women suffer from so much pressure from society uh, in so many ways. And having a baby is one of them. And I don't think that you adding more pressure onto yourself, feeling bad, feeling guilty, feeling like a failure, like it's just not going to help. I think at this point you are your best friend and only you know how best to deal with what you're going through. So be gentle with yourself. There's, there's just one thing that I feel like based on my experience is really important to get out there. And I think there should be more awareness of this um, generally among women, among families. Um, and that's the, the curiosity that people have about your potential motherhood. So I think it's, it, it stands out a lot for me because I'm originally from Scandinavia, in my culture, it's not normal for half strangers or even your close family to kind of ask you about when you're going to have a baby. 
Like, it's not something that we do. So for me, when I... <laughs> and she married a Palestinian. <laughs> you guys know where this is going. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was, it was a big learning curve for me to understand that, that in the Arab culture, people do that quite openly. <laughs> and <Had> sometimes, <laughs> sometimes without knowing you at all um, and, or knowing your situation. And uh, I, I, I learned, I've learned over time that it obviously comes from a place of care and love. And they, they just want this miracle for you and, and all of that stuff, which is, which is wonderful. But you never know what somebody is going through. They could have had a miscarriage yesterday. They could be in the middle of all of that horror and dealing with it. Or, or they could be at the start of a really high-risk pregnancy. They could be anywhere. But I just wish that more people were a bit more sensitive about asking those questions. So I just find that that's something that we should just, women as well, each other. Women also ask these, these, these questions of each other. And I just think we need to give each other space. We never know what somebody's going through. I think it's, it's really important for people to be able to have these experiences by themselves and in peace. Thanks for that, Mira and Julia. That was so beautiful and just so wonderfully said. Uh, as, as Karen was saying, we cannot appreciate your presence and your experiences being shared here anymore. I, thank you so much, truly. The gratitude and the I, I'm just so proud of you. I'm so proud of you for being here. I'm so proud of you for openly sharing your story I can't imagine how many women it's possibly helping right now. I can't imagine. I can't imagine how many women needed to hear what we talked about today. Or maybe even some babas, some partners. They Maybe this is something that, was, that really needed to be said. And we thank you so much for being those women who said it. Thank you so much for being here. Ladies, thank you for your time. And as we always say, ma salame. Ma salame. Ma salame. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much. <laughs>